Because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 12 through 21 as we continue our series in 2 Peter. Um, it's kind of been disjointed. We're going to cover the, the third message at the end of the month, and then we'll have a, a steady rhythm after that going into February. But as we think about the new year and New Year's resolutions and things like that, let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Peter is writing here at the end of his life. We don't know if quite if he was in jail here in Rome or just older and not really sensing his impending death in terms of persecution and suffering, but um, he's here at the end of his life. These are kind of like his last words in this letter, and uh, you get a sense of that here as he speaks to us as we read. Listen to God's word. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth you now have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this bodily tent, to wake you up with a reminder, since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent, as our Lord Jesus has indeed made clear to me. And I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things at any time after my departure. For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. We also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you know this. No prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that you would fill us with your word. Fill us with your joy, fill us with your truth, fill us with your light, fill us with your life. God, help us to meditate here now. Apart from you, we can do nothing. We can preach, we can listen, we might even learn some true things, but unless your spirit comes, we will not grow in faith, we will not grow in repentance. We will not grow in obedience. We are desperate for your help. So help us now, we pray. We pray for the children who are hearing your word as well, that you would open their eyes to the gospel, that they might trust in Christ, either initially or in a renewed way. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. 2020 resolutions. One of the common resolutions for Christians is read the Bible more. Maybe your goal is to read through the whole Bible in a year or just read the Bible more, take in more of the Bible, maybe listen to the Bible more. If you have a Bible app on your phone and you listen to scripture or the dwell app that I hear going around that's getting more and more popular of listening to scripture, we want to learn more about God's word because we want to learn more of God. We want to know God more in 2020. That's many people's resolution. I wonder if that resonates with you. If you're not a Christian, I wonder what you want to grow in learning in 2020. For Christians, we know that we need to know God's word to bear fruit and make, um, and make our lives flourish. We know that we live not by bread alone, Jesus says, quoting Deuteronomy, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so if we're going to live well in 2020, it follows that we should live on God's word, every word that comes from his mouth. Now, our problem is that we don't read the Bible consistently, or we don't read the Bible enough. We don't take it in enough. We all, as Christians, have more desire than action. We have good intentions. And so Paul even prays regarding resolutions in 2 Thessalonians 1, that 
that God would complete your resolve for every good work. It's good to resolve. You need to resolve to do good, to read your Bible. But that resolve needs to be completed. And we struggle with completing these resolves. So we pray like Paul prayed. We want to read the Bible, but we don't. And so we feel a little guilty when we think about it. And I'm not here to guilt trip you this morning. I'm here to encourage you. Bible intake, reading the Bible, hearing the Bible, taking in the Bible does not have to be a drudgery all of the time. I can't guarantee it won't be a drudgery sometimes because our hearts get cold. Worldliness seeps into our souls more than we realize and our hearts get out of tune. So it will be drudgery and sometimes you do need sheer discipline to just push through and read another chapter. Think a little bit longer. Come to church even when you don't feel like it. Yes, that needs to happen at times, but it doesn't have to be all drudgery. There are good reasons, compelling reasons, to enthusiastically take in Scripture. So here's the main goal, I think, of um, 2 Peter 1, verses 12 through 21. I think the main goal is this. Be regularly reminded of biblical Christian truth. That's it. Be regularly reminded of biblical Christian truth. That's what, that's what, uh, that's Peter's intent for you. He wants you to want to want to be regularly reminded. Not just that you would be regularly reminded, but that you'd want to be regularly reminded and that you'd welcome regular reminders of biblical truth. So if I had to put this in the context of all of 2 Peter 1, I would say be regularly reminded of biblical tr Christian truth so that you confirm your claim to be Christian. So that you confirm your claim to be Christian. We'll cover that on January 26th when we get to um, when we go back to the previous section. Peter here in this, in this section, in this text, gives us six reasons why we should enthusiastically welcome regular reminders. Six reasons why we should be regularly reminded of Christian biblical truth, okay? We got a lot of work to do with six. Let's start with number one. Number one, your entry depends on it. Your entry depends on it. Be regularly reminded of Christian biblical truth because your entry depends on it. What entry? Your entry into Christ's kingdom. Your entry into Christ's kingdom is given to you through every effort to godly faith and love. We're going to cover this more on, like I said, January 26th, but let's just look at verse 10 and 11 of this chapter. Just go back. And I'm getting this as a reason number one because the first word of verse 12 is what? What's the first word in verse 12? Therefore, so he's pulling from the previous section. He's saying, because of what I just said, therefore be regularly reminded. Well, what did he just say? Verses 10 and 11, brothers and sisters, here's the command, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Why? Because if you do these things, you'll never stumble. For in this way, in you striving to make every effort to confirm your calling and election, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. So how does God richly provide Entry into the kingdom by you making every effort to make your calling and election sure. So that's the first reason why you need to be regularly reminded of biblical truth. Because when you're reminded of biblical truth, you strive to make your calling and election sure. You strive to put on faith and love and all these other characteristics in 1 Peter 3, 1 verses 5 through 9. So why should you be regularly reminded of Christian truth? Reason number one is because your entry into the kingdom depends on it. God will provide it for you through your every effort. That's reason number one. We'll cover that more in coming weeks. The other reasons are longer. Reason number two, be regularly reminded of biblical Christian truth because your future self needs future grace. Your future self needs future grace. Or another way I could say it is, your present knowledge and your present establishment as a Christian in truth is not enough. Your present Christian knowledge right now, your present state of being established as a Christian right now in the truth is not enough for your future. You need more. And so you need to be regularly reminded. This is verses 12 and 13. Let's look at it. Verse 12. Therefore, Peter says, I will always remind you. That's why we need to be regularly reminded because Peter says, I will always remind you about these things even though you know them and are established in the, in the truth you now have. You already know it. You're, all, you're already established in it. And yet, what am I gonna do? What is Peter gonna do? I'm gonna keep on what? 
I'm going to keep reminding you of these things. I think it is right, as long as, I, as long as I'm in this bodily tent, to wake you up with a reminder. Knowledge of the truth isn't enough. You have known the truth. You have known it in the past. It's affecting your life. Why are you here today? If you're a Christian and you're here in church in this gathering this morning, you're here because you have known the truth and you're here to worship Jesus, right? You're here to know God more. Why are you here? Because a lot of you are members of this church. You're already established as a Christian. In the past, you have been established. You have come to Christ. You have professed faith in Christ. You have been baptized. You have joined a church. You take communion regularly. You profess faith in Christ in the context of a covenant community. You have been established. And Peter says, even though you have been established, church member, I'm going to always remind you of what you already know. Because your knowledge is is not enough and your establishment in the truth is not enough. It's good. We're not against communion. We're not against church membership. We're not against knowledge. We're not against getting baptized and professing faith in Christ. We are against, Peter is against, you thinking that that's enough that you don't need more reminders. You still get, to use Peter's words here, look at verse 13. I like it. I think there's different translations. I think the um, CSB gets the best one here in verse 13. I think it's right as long as, I, as long as I'm in this bodily tent to do what? To wake you up with a reminder. Why, is, why are reminders needed? Because you get what? Sleepy. So he wants to wake you up with a reminder because you get sleepy. You still get sleepy. You get sleepy every day. You don't, know, you don't, need, just need, you don't live off of your alarm clock from two weeks ago, Right? I need to wake up for work tomorrow. Well, I set my alarm clock. I woke up three weeks ago, so I'm good. No, you're going to get sleepy again. You're going to need the reminder again. You're going to get sleepy again. You're going to need the wake-up alarm again. You get sleepy regularly, so you need wake-up reminders regularly. That's the same thing spiritually. Just because you know it doesn't mean that you don't need to be reminded again. That So... One of the ways, and this is convicting for me if I'm going to share my own personal struggle with sin and just even kind of how this text convicted me, um, when people correct me, when people rebuke me and reprove me, my, everything in me wants to say, when they tell me something uh, like, you know, PJ, you should be praying more, or you know what, PJ, you should have asked that person for forgiveness and you didn't, or you shouldn't have said that comment that was not wholesome and edifying. When someone says that to me, everything in me wants to say, I know. As if I know means I don't need to be reminded because I already know. That's a defensive mechanism of pride. You don't need to tell me. You don't need to remind me because I already know. Whenever you find yourself thinking I already know that when someone's correcting you or reproving you or teaching you or training you in righteousness, that is arrogance. That is pride. And that will keep you sleepy. That's like saying, I already know I'm supposed to wake up tomorrow. And my alarm was set three three weeks ago. I already know that. I don't need an alarm. It doesn't make any sense. You're going to get sleepy again. And so we need to receive and invite correction and teaching and biblical truth from others. You know, I like to think I have it all together. I like to think I don't need reminders from scripture and people. And one of the ways I see it in my life as a pastor is I get more excited about learning new and exciting things from the Bible new and exciting applications of scripture, new and exciting insights into the word. But I still get sleepy. I've been reproved by you, brothers and sisters. I've been corrected by you. I've been challenged by you. And I want to thank you for rebuking me and challenging me. Keep coming at me even when I sinfully get defensive in my drowsiness. And I encourage you to keep going after each other in this way. Knowledge and establishment is not enough. It wasn't enough for the 10 virgins in Jesus' parable. Jesus tells a story about 10 virgins who are going to go into the wedding feast with the groom. They're just waiting for the groom, and they don't know when he's coming. So it's late at night. It's dark. And so they knew he was going to come. Well, they didn't know, but it's going into nighttime. So you get your lamp. You get your oil. You fill it with oil, and you're ready to stay awake so that when the groom comes at whatever hour, you're going to be awake and ready to go into the feast with him. Well, there's 10 virgins here in Matthew 25, um, beginning in verse 1, and five of them didn't have enough oil. They didn't make the proper preparations. 
And so they got sleepy. Actually, all of them were getting sleepy. And so as they're getting sleepy, um, one, five of them had enough oil. So they were able to stay awake with the light. And when the groom came, um, the groom came and he took the five and he went into the wedding feast and the other five were locked out. They didn't have enough oil. They weren't awake. They weren't prepared. They weren't alert. They knew they needed to be alert. They had the knowledge of being alert. They had an oil lamp. They were established in, in, with, with having a light and yet they were not alert and ready. They did not stay awake, even as the others encouraged them to get to, to be prepared. And so they say, it says in Matthew 25, 11, later the rest of the virgins also came and said, Master, Master, open up for us. I think I mistold the story. When, the master, when they were running out of oil, they went, to the, they went to go get more oil, and when they left to get oil is when the master came. And so the other five went in, and then the other five come back from buying their oil, and it's closed already. And they say, Master, Master, open up for us. He replied, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. He didn't let them in. And then he says in verse 13, Therefore, Jesus applies it. Therefore, be alert, stay awake, because you don't know either the day or the hour. Knowing that Jesus is coming doesn't mean you're going to be alert when he comes. Knowledge is not enough, establishment is not enough. It wasn't enough for Judas, who betrayed Jesus. It wasn't enough for Demas, one of Paul's missionary team members. It wasn't enough for members of Bethany Baptist Church who've been excommunicated in the last five years, one for denying the deity of Christ, one for sexual immorality before marriage. Knowledge wasn't enough for them. It wasn't even enough for Peter, who said to Jesus, when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Peter stood up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus said, you're right. You are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against us. Let me give you the keys of the kingdom, Peter. And, he, and then, he said, then he pulls him aside and says, hey, guys, I'm going to die on a cross. And what does Peter say? Peter pulls Jesus to the side and says, let me talk to you for a second. Come over here, Messiah. Get over here. So get, come over here, Messiah. Get over here. So get some Messiah over here. I need to tell you something. You are not going to die over my dead body. You are not going to die. And Jesus, the Messiah, looks at Peter and says, get behind me. Satan, you're not setting your mind on God's concerns, but on man's concerns. Who knew that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of the living God? Who professed it? Who confessed it? Peter, was that knowledge enough? He was deemed the rock. He was going to be given the keys of the kingdom. Was that enough for him to, to not need to be alert and not be taken by Satan? No, I mean, literally in the same conversation, the one apostle who publicly confesses the messiahship of Jesus is the same one who gets overtaken by Satan a few minutes later. Brothers and sisters, your knowledge is not enough. Your establishment is not enough. You need more. You need regular reminders. You need to be continually woken up. I have five kids, and so I will share five methods I have of waking up my kids. I shake them. Method one. Another one is I pull the blanket from them and let them feel the cold as they complain. Third method I have is I talk to them about the day and what to look forward to. Hey, we're going to the, the church gathering today, so something exciting that will get them excited to get out of bed. My fourth method is instruction about the next step. Hey, you need to go to the bathroom right now. You need to brush your teeth. You need to go to the bathroom. Go. So just tell them the next step. And my fifth method is threats. Just threaten them. If you don't wake up right now, you know, kind of thing. So those are five ways I try to, um, five methods I use to wake up my kids. I looked up how to stay awake naturally. And um, on WebMD, there was, a, there was a bunch of reasons. Let me give you six methods of staying awake naturally, which might actually help you practically here this morning as you're listening to the sermon. Number one, get up and move around to feel awake. Number two, take a nap. Not right now, later. <laughs> take a nap to take the edge off of sleepiness. Eat a healthy snack to boost energy. Start a conversation to wake up your mind. Turn up the lights to ease fatigue. And take a breather to feel alert. We have ways of waking up when we're sleeping. We have ways of waking up others. We have ways of staying awake naturally. How can we stay awake? How can we regularly remind ourselves of biblical truth? so that we could wake ourselves up and stay awake spiritually. Let me give you a few applications here and suggestions. Number one, read your Bible. 
at the same time and the same place every day. Decide what you're going to read before you read. Don't decide there because that will discourage you. Just, just already know what you're going to read. Have your plan the night before or the day before. Decide what you're going to read, where you're going to read, when you're going to read, and then do it. That's number one. Number two, listen to scripture being read. You can listen from your phone or from an audio app, something like that. You can listen to Christians reading scripture. We read a lot of scripture here on Sunday morning and Sunday night. We're reading through Ecclesiastes in our Sunday evening gatherings. Have other members read the scripture to you. Third way to take the Bible in more and get awake is come every Sunday. Gather on Sundays with the church. Sunday morning and Sunday night would be ideal and most beneficial for your soul. But even if it's Sunday morning only, gather regularly with the saints to wake yourselves up spiritually. A fourth way is to talk about what you're learning with other people. Now, we force the members to do that every Sunday, at least for a minute, but I want you to do it for more than a minute. Talk about what you're learning. Fifthly, invite counsel. Invite counsel, feedback, and reproof and correction from others. So ask people to to share what they think about your life. And number six, ask others how they're doing. Because when you ask them how they're doing spiritually, they're going to ask you back, hopefully. And that will help you to get reminders to stay awake. God cares about your endurance by educating you on your need. So brothers and sisters, be regularly reminded of biblical Christian truth. Why? Because your kingdom entry depends on it. Secondly, because your future self needs future grace. So you need future reminders. The third reason is because your preachers will be gone soon. Your preachers will be gone soon. Look at chapter 1 again, verse 13. He says, I think it's right as long as I'm in this bodily tent to wake you up with a reminder since I know that I will soon soon lay aside my tent as our Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made clear to me. And I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things at any time after my departure. What is Peter saying? As long as I'm alive, I'm going to wake you up with a reminder, verse 13. Verse 14, I know that I'm going to die soon. I'm going to lay aside my tent. His tent is his physical body. I'm going to lay aside my body as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Jesus told Peter and John at Galilee that Peter would die and be, would die by suffering against his will. He would be killed. That's in John chapter 21. So Peter's saying, hey, Jesus already told me I'm going to be killed. I'm going to die for Christ. So it's going to come soon. It's coming soon. And then in verse 15, he says, I'll also make every effort so that you're able to recall these things. So you're able to wake yourself up. You're able to bring these things to your own attention after I die, after I leave. So why should you be regularly reminded of biblical Christian truth, especially by others? Because your preachers will be gone soon. Peter would be gone soon. And so he writes this letter so they could keep reading the letter over and over again. Peter helped with the gospel according to Mark, most likely. And so Peter even left us the gospel of Mark so that we could read about Jesus' life over and over and over again. But Peter was going to be dead soon. And it's 2020, so Peter has been dead for a long time. He's laid aside his bodily tent a long time ago. There's many pastors who've been part of this church who have died and have departed to be with Christ. For me personally, one of my, my fathers in the faith, Pastor Ed Ormeo, has passed away a few years ago. And he's gone. He's no longer here to remind me about following Christ. So your preachers will be gone soon. Now, when I said your preachers will be gone soon, I hope you weren't thinking about me first. I mean, I, maybe that's normal. When we talk about preachers, when people say, what's your job? I n- almost never say I'm a preacher. Um, I would say I'm a pastor. Um, and the reason why I would say that is because who in the New Testament preaches? Who preaches the gospel? Just pastors? Just those behind the pulpit? No, people. What is preaching? Preaching is declaring or heralding some truth that you believe, an announcement. And if you're a Christian, you herald the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that God raised Jesus from the dead, that Jesus died for sinners. In other words, we gospelize each other. We preach the gospel to each other. And what I'm telling you, why you need to be regularly reminded is because look around this church family. A lot of these preachers around you will be gone soon. Al, Jean, Carol, Deborah, Frank, Edith. We can go on and on with other members who have been here testifying about Jesus with their lives and with their words to you. 
They've reminded you over and over and over again that Jesus is more precious than life, that it's worth taking up your cross to follow Jesus. And they're gone. And the members beside you will be gone as well. So be reminded regularly. Don't take for granted what another church member gospelizes you and teaches you and reproves you and corrects you and trains you in righteousness. Take that as a treasured, precious gift because it's gonna be gone before you know it. They're gonna be gone before you know it. James has told us that life is a what? Life is a vapor. And there's another reason why preachers will be gone who's beside you. Because preachers transfer from this church to other churches, right? So even if they don't die, members are members of a church temporarily. Every member in this church is only temporarily a member of this church. You're either gonna die, which, in which case you will be removing yourself from the role, or God will be removing you from the role, I guess, technically, right? Or you're gonna transfer out of this church or you'll be excommunicated. And those are the only three ways, but, but the point is you're not gonna be a member of this church forever. We're all temporarily members here. We're all temporarily committed to gospelizing and preaching the gospel to each other. Therefore, be reminded regularly by each other because they're going to be gone soon enough. We must be reminded, and there's another reason why, why Peter wants to remind us in verse 15. He's going to remind us, but what's his goal? So that what? He's going to make every effort in reminding us so that what? So that you'll be able to what? Recall these things when he's what? When he's gone. Why do we remind each other? Because we want people to know God's truth when we're gone. That's the whole point. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Whether I'm here or whether I'm absent, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In my presence or out of my presence. You know, when I coached basketball, one of the things we do with the kids is we keep shouting at them and repeating them to them over and over what to do over and over and over and over again. Because when they're on the court, we want them to hear our voice without us actually saying it. Because you said it 10,000 times, you know, um, when, when they're, you know, slide your feet, if we're talking about defense, so you're saying slide your feet, they would just know or look at the waist. It's one of the things I would always shout at my kids when they're playing defense. And so that they would always know whether I'm saying it or not when they're playing basketball to stare at the person's waist when they're guarding the person. You want, and so if I teach my kids, as we teach one another, we want to repeat the word of God over and over and over and over so that when they're at home, when they're tempted to sin, when they're tempted to compromise and nobody's looking except God, they won't do it because they remember what God has said to us in his word because they've been reminded by other Christians, other church members. So, brothers and sisters, let's be reminded from other people. Let's learn our confession of faith. Let's learn the church catechism. Read the Bible with each other. Ask one another what they think God... And I, this is a new application. I haven't done this regularly. I'm going to try this, hopefully, this week. Ask another member, what do you think God wants you to tell me right now? That's a fun question. I'm excited to, to find out what people are going to say to me this week. What do you think God might want you to say to me right now? And let, let me be reminded of God's word through you right now. So what do you think God wants you to tell me right now? Become one who reminds others. Praise God. Isn't God good that he gives us different people to remind us of the gospel? Just think about your life. All the people you've had throughout the months or weeks or years of your life as a Christian where God has put people to regularly remind you of him. Praise God for his sovereign grace in giving us people to point us to him. So let me recap here. Be regularly reminded of biblical truth, Christian, biblical Christian truth, because your kingdom entry depends on it, because your future self needs future grace and future reminders. Third, because your preachers will be gone soon. And fourthly, because Christian truth is rooted in eyewitness testimony, because the Christian truth you're reminded of is rooted in eyewitness testimony. Look at verses 16 to 18. Are you guys there in 2 Peter chapter 1? Look at verse 16 with me. For we did not, here's why. So why am I going to remind you? For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So look at verse 16. He's saying, when I remind you of these things, I'm not giving you cleverly contrived myths. Now, the Greek culture had spread across the Roman Empire before Rome took over, and so there are a lot of Greek and Roman myths 
When you think of myths, Greek mythology, you think of the Greek gods, Zeus and Hera and Aphrodite and Hermes, Hercules, all these stories of Greek gods. And so those are not true stories about gods that, that they, some of them, I guess, sort of believed in them, but people kind of knew that these are myths that are contrived. They're not true, but they teach lessons for your life and keep you in check. And Peter's saying, brothers, sisters, I'm not reminding you of myths. I'm not making things up. These are not religious myths. They're not psychological myths. They're not things to just make you feel good or keep our society on in moral, in a good moral direction. That's not the reason why I'm reminding you just to have a nice life. Why am I reminding you? If it's not because of cleverly contrived myths, it's instead because we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We seen him. We were there. Look at verse 18. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven, when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we see here that um, the reason why we can, why, why we should remind each other is because what we're reminding each other of is truth. We're reminding each other of things that actually happened in history. Jesus actually came and Peter was an eyewitness of his majesty. Let's look at the testimony and then let's look at the eyewitness part. Look at verse 17. He tells us what he saw. What did Peter see in verse 17? For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, that's from God, saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now, I don't have to tell you to turn to this passage because you read it already. Royce, actually, we all read it together, right? Royce led us in reading Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 10. This is what Peter's talking about. I was on that mountain. There's only Peter, James, and John. He saw Jesus, Moses, and Elijah on that mountain. Remember? We just read that story. And Jesus was shining bright. His, his, deif, his deity, his godness, his glory was shining through in that moment. Peter didn't even see that after Christ rose from the dead. That was a different kind where his face is shining like the sun. The glory of, of God in Christ was shining and Peter saw it. He says, we're eyewitnesses of this fact. That's why we tell others about it because it's true, because we saw it. Now, Peter is probably quoting Matthew's account where he says, with whom I'm well pleased. Mark and Luke don't have that sentence. They just have listened to him. But um, the reason why Peter's doing this here is he wants us to see that this is historical fact. He was an eyewitness. Now, what is the message that, that they keep preaching? What is the Christian message? What's maybe the core of biblical truth? I always look for biblical summaries of the core of Christian truth. Look at verse 17. Here's one way of summarizing biblical truth. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. That's one way you could summarize Christianity. What's the message of Christianity? Jesus Christ is God's son. Just start playing that out. What does it mean that Jesus Christ is God's son? This is a way of talking about the gospel. Jesus Christ is God's son. And who is God's son? Jesus Christ, the son of God, God the son became flesh, became a human, lived the life that we should have lived, died on the cross for our sins, and rose from the dead, pleasing God the Father. This is the gospel, that Jesus is the son of God who came to save the people of God from their sins. If you're not a Christian and you hear nothing else today, please hear this. God made you and loves you and wants to relate to you and enjoy you and have you enjoy him. But you have rebelled against him in your sin. And so God is a judge. He's not only your creator, he's your judge. And he will judge us for our sins in hell under his wrath forever. But the good news is God sent his son. Jesus is his son. And God was well pleased with his son because his son obeyed him perfectly and died for sinners and rose from the dead. So that if you trust in Jesus and repent from your sins, God will be well pleased with you too. Not because you never sin, not because you never displease God, you do displease God. God will forgive you of all your sins and be pleased with you because he will unite you to Jesus Christ. And when God sees you, he sees Jesus. And when he sees Jesus, he is well pleased. So he's well pleased with you, Christian. If you're a Christian, God the Father looks at you with delight and pleasure because he sees Christ in you and you in him. And if you're not a Christian, I'm inviting you, you too, 
can have reconciliation with God. God can be pleased with you and put you into his family that you might have eternal life, forgiveness of sins, and live with him forever in the new earth to come. So if you're not a Christian, God is calling you right now through my voice to repent from your sins, repent from your own ways of pleasing God, and trust in Jesus Christ who pleased God perfectly. Let's go to verse 18 now. So Peter says, we ourselves heard this voice. We heard it ourselves when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. So we, were, we became eyewitnesses by seeing it. Do you know that Christianity is a historical faith? Christianity is not like Buddhism, Hinduism, or even Islam. Buddhism and Hinduism don't depend on historical fact. They're not making any historical claim that if it was untrue, their religion would be destroyed. Even Islam, if you say, um, well, they, they, they do believe historically that Muhammad got a message from Allah and, um, and portrays the, the message of Islam. But their message itself and what they're telling you to do and how to live to be pleasing to God, it, it requires no historical fact. Whether it was Muhammad or not, and I'm not saying it wasn't Muhammad, I'm saying whether it was or not, it doesn't, it doesn't destroy Islam, whether, whether it was Muhammad or not. But in Christianity, if Jesus isn't God's son, if he didn't die for sins, if he didn't rise from the dead, then there is no Christianity. What does Paul say? If Christ didn't rise from the dead, you are of all men most to be what? Pitied. Stop wasting your time. If this is not true, Christianity is nonsense. It's more than nonsense, it's terrible because you're devoting yourself to a lie. It's better to eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Christianity is true, or the reason why we believe that Christianity is true is because we are believing a historical claim that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, that he is God's son, that he did die on a cross in Jerusalem for our sins, and that he did actually, physically, historically, rise from the dead. We believe in Jesus' historicity the same way we believe that George Washington was the first president of the United States. How many of you were here when George Washington was the president of the United States? Don't point at others in this room. <laughs> no one here was here when George Washington was the president of the United States. Why do we believe that that's true? Do you believe that that's true? No one was here. Why do you believe that's true? Eyewitness testimony. You have eyewitness testimony that were there when he lived, and you have good reasons to believe the historical artifacts we have, that George Washington was the first president of the United States. But you're believing basically on eyewitness testimony. I mean, if no one saw that George Washington was the first president of the United States, then you wouldn't believe that claim. It's a historical claim. It's a valid historical claim based on the evidence. And that's what we're saying with Jesus as well. So if you're not a Christian, what we're telling you is that Jesus really rose from the dead, that this is true because of eyewitness testimony. That's why we need to remind each other of Christian biblical truth over and over and over again, because we think it's true. Children who are here, kids, listen up. Listen up, kids. Kids, the Bible is true. Jesus is true. Not because your parents say he's true. Whether your parents say Jesus is true or not doesn't change it. Jesus is real. He really died. He really rose from the dead. Not because your parents said it. Not because your church says it. Not because a pastor behind a wooden box says it. It is true, and we can know that it's true because eyewitness testimonies have testified that it's true. Peter was there, and he told us that it happened. Now, if you're not a Christian, you might say, okay, PJ, I still would not become a Christian because I don't believe that the Bible's true. You're still believing the book. You're believing Peter here in 2 Peter wrote this, and now you're believing his words. But how do you even know that this Bible is true? What if he's lying to you? I mean, anyone could say that they saw things that they didn't see. How do you know that this is true? It seems impossible to take the Bible as completely true and authoritative in light of modern science, history, and culture. We can't be sure of whether these events are legendary or, did they ha or whether they happen. I mean, there are tall tales, exaggerations. How do we know that this is just not an exaggeration? Maybe Jesus was a really good man and a bunch of Christians just took it and expanded these ideas with a bunch of lies and said that they were there to see these things and that's why you believe it. If that's your reason for rejecting the Bible, let me give you a brief response. The gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and even Peter's testimony here in 2 Peter about the Mount Transfiguration, 
they are true. They can't be legends. Why? Two reasons. Number one, their timing is too early to be legends. It takes centuries for legend to build, not decades. I mean, if you start making a lie about Jesus feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, if you wanted to perpetuate that lie 30 years after the fact, when 15,000 people were eyewitnesses, it just takes a bunch of them to say, I was there. He never fed us. I mean, think of all the miracles that they recorded and testified 30, um, in the next years, 30 to 45 years after Christ died and rose, allegedly. They're making all kinds of claims that were public. You just need eyewitnesses to come and say that wasn't true. They could make public claims because there were eyewitnesses for it. It's too early. It's too close to the events to be legendary. And the second thing, second reason why these gospel accounts are true is that what they write about is far too counterproductive to be made up. Why would Peter make up that Jesus, um, when Jesus rose from the dead, why would Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when Jesus rose from the dead, who were the first people to see Jesus? The women, right? Now, in the Rome, now they're, they're preaching the gospel in the Roman Empire. In the court of law in the Roman Empire, women could not even testify in court. Their testimony was considered invalid because they were women. If you're going to build a whole religion and system of thinking and life on the fact that women were the first eyewitnesses and you're making this up, that would be foolish. That's shooting yourself in the foot. Why would Peter, why would Peter tell Mark, why would Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John say that women were the first to see Jesus at the tomb? Because women were the first to see Jesus at the tomb. They're just telling what happened. Whether, it, whether it's popular or not, whether it's gonna fly in the Roman Empire or not, they don't care. They're just telling the truth. So if you're not a Christian saying, I reject the Bible, legendary, those are at least two reasons for you to consider, reconsider the fact that the Bible um, is true. These stories are true. Praise God for giving us reliable accounts in the Bible, eyewitness testimony. So four reasons so far why you need to regularly remind yourself of biblical Christian truth. Number one, because your kingdom entry depends on it. Number two, your future self, your future sleepy self needs future wake-up reminders. Number three, your preachers will be gone soon. Number four, the Christian truth is historical. And so you must remind each other of it. Number five, we've got six. Number five, the Christian truth is in Old Testament prophecy. Or you could say it this way. The Christian truth was prophesied and fulfilled. The Christian truth was prophesied and fulfilled. Look at verse 19. Just one verse for this one. And we're going to do more application here than uh, grounding the reason. But we look at verse 19. We also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed. Now, Peter's writing, there's no New Testament copies yet. What's the prophetic word? We know from verse 20, no prophecy of Scripture what are the scriptures for Peter and the early church? Not the New Testament, but the Old Testament. And the Old Testament has prophetic words, prophecies about a Messiah, about God's son who would come. For unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. He will sit on the throne of David. That's Isaiah prophesying 700 plus years before Jesus came, 800 plus years before Peter's writing. And it was confirmed. So why should we gospelize and be reminded, reminding ourselves of biblical truth? Because these prophecies have been confirmed. Now, did God actually send his son? Peter's saying yes. It's more, it's more confirmed because I saw it as an eyewitness. Now, I need to give you a little interpretive problem here, or at least solve it for you. There's a, there's a debate here. The ESV, the old ESV, did you know there's a newer ESV and an older ESV? The original ESV, used to say that we have the prophetic word more sure than Peter's eyewitness account. So we have the prophetic word, the Bible. In other words, the Bible is greater than Peter's eyewitness account. And so people would preach that, and I used to believe this, I don't believe this now, as the Bible is more important than your experience. I do believe that, that the Bible is more true than your experience. But I used to say this passage was teaching that the Bible is more sure than your experience. So it's saying that the prophetic word, the Old Testament scripture, is even greater than Peter's experience in transfiguration. That's what I used to think. That's what the old ESV translated this as. I don't think it means that the prophetic word is more sure than Peter's experience. 
I think what it's saying is the prophetic word is made more sure. We can be more sure of it because it's confirmed by Peter's experience. It prophesied that the son would come and be the Messiah. And Peter's saying, I saw him. I heard the voice of God on the mountain. Does that make sense? So here's why you should... So Peter's saying the prophecies of the Old Testament are confirmed. I saw it. I saw him. And that's why you should remind each other of Old Testament biblical truth. That's Old Testament Christian biblical truth. Because Peter saw it confirmed in Christ. But the Old Testament prophesied prophesied it. And that's why we should pay attention to biblical truth. And I'm not just saying New Testament truth. Now, Peter gives us some application here. Another way of saying, remind yourself. So look at verse 19 with me. He's giving you an application right here. Because we have the prophetic word more strongly confirmed, you will do well to what? What do you need to do? Pay attention to it. Pay attention to the Bible. Pay careful attention to the Bible. Read your Bible. Read the Old Testament prophecies. Pay careful attention to how the Bible story fits together. How should you pay attention? Like what? He gives us two examples here. As to a lamp shining in a dark place. So how should you pay attention to the Bible? Like a flashlight shining in a dark place or a light. So we don't have lamps these, day with, these days with oil. We got flashlights. And if you're a member of our church, Barbara might have given you, or one of the interns would have given you a few weeks ago, one of these little flashlights with Bethany Baptist Church and our church phone number. See that? Working pretty good. Not too needy here with light. Now, you have to get out of uh, the last 200 years. Go back before electricity. And remember what it was like at night. There were no street lights. There were no city lights. There was no light pollution like we have in LA, right? It was dark. Now imagine that's how your life is. And then you got one of these going around. You have someone who has one of these. What are you going to do to get around? You're going to follow that light. You're going to pay careful attention to the light in the darkness. And what is Peter saying? Pay careful attention to the Old Testament prophecies. Pay careful attention to the Bible. Why? Because you're in a world of darkness. Your household is full of darkness. Your life is full of darkness. Church is full of darkness. Your neighborhood is full of darkness. Your workplace is full of darkness. Your neighborhood, your schools are full of darkness. You're in a dark place and you got a little dinky light called biblical truth, biblical Christian truth. Pay attention to it to find your way because if you don't, you'll get lost. You won't have the knowledge of the light of God's word to guide you. To use a more familiar verse, I'm going to quote the King James because that's deep in my soul. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's word is a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. We are living in a dark world and we need God's little light to guide us in this darkness. PJ, why are you calling it a little light? Are you just insulting the Bible by calling biblical Christian truth all of this little light? I don't think so, because look at verse 20. I'm sorry, verse 19 still. How long should you be paying attention to this light in the dark place? How long? Until the day dawns and the morning star, what? Rises in your heart. So are you supposed to be paying attention to these Old Testament prophecies and this biblical Christian truth and paying attention to your Bible forever? No. How long should you do it? Until what? until the day dawns, which is why this would be useless during the day, right? You don't need to pay careful attention to my light right now. Hey, everyone, the bathrooms are this way. Follow the light, right? Like, no, here, read your Bible. I don't need to, I don't need to point this to you because it's daytime. The Bible is here as a small light, but when Christ comes, the whole world is going to be the Holy of Holies, The new earth is going to be the Holy of Holies. God is going to be walking with us. He's going to make his home here. So even Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, we see through a dark glass dimly right now. I'm not insulting the Bible, the all-sufficient scriptures when I'm saying the Bible is like a little flashlight. We are in a dark world, but when the day dawns, when the morning star rises, and when Christ returns, we don't need to pay attention to the little dinky light anymore. It's great. Praise God for this, but we're going to have Jesus here with us. We're going to have God's presence. We're going to have all the saints. We could talk to Peter and Paul and Moses, right? And so how long do we need to hold on? Until when? Until either Christ comes or we what? Or we what? 
or we die. Just a little bit longer. Pay attention to the word, these prophecies in scripture, before the day breaks. It's coming soon. And it says the morning star rising in your heart. I think that means, my guess would be, that that means when Christ comes, it says in 2 Thessalonians 1, when Christ comes, he's coming for judgment, but he's also coming to be marveled at among his saints. I mean, imagine hearing, like, okay, let's try to do this. Clear your minds. Imagine hearing the trumpet in five minutes. Like, well, what if the trumpet was about to sound and Christ's about to return? Like, imagine that during this Sunday gathering, the trumpet sounds and Christ returns. Guess what's going to be rising up in your heart? The morning star. This, this joy, this marveling of Christ in you, just, just rejoicing in the fact that Christ is descending and we are going to see him. So until that day comes, until the morning, until the dawn breaks and the trumpet sounds, pay attention with regular biblically true reminders, Christian truth reminders, um, to stay awake in this darkness. Jesus says in Revelation 1-3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are the ones who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it because the time is near. In Revelation 3-11, he says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. In chapter 22, he says, look, I am coming soon and my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. Brothers and sisters, it's almost daytime. It's almost daytime. Hold on and pay careful attention to what you have. Read the whole Bible as this great prophetic word of the coming of Christ and the new heavens and the new earth. Praise God that he gives us light in our dark lives and in our dark churches and our dark world. So why should we be regularly reminded of biblical Christian truth? Because your kingdom entry depends on it? Because your future self needs future reminders? Because your preachers will be gone soon? Because the historical truth, the Christian truth is historical? Because this Christian truth is in the Old Testament? And lastly, because biblical truth has God's meaning or God's intention. And what I mean by this is objective interpretation. The Bible actually means what it says and there could be wrong interpretations. So you need to remind yourself of biblical truth regularly to get the right interpretation. Look at verse 20. Last two verses. Above all, know this, no prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation. That's unfortunate that the CSB says prophet's own interpretation. It might be right, but it's better to just translate it literally. So your translation might say, no prophecy of scripture comes from one's own interpretation. Because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What do we learn here? That the Bible's truth and what the prophets have said, it's not a matter of their own interpretation. So one view says they were just interpreting what they saw and said, hey, this is from God's word. So they wrote it down. That might be what Peter's saying, that the prophets didn't make this up. But I think it's saying the prophecy of scriptures is not a matter of one's own interpretation, even your own interpretation. You need to understand what the prophets meant by what they said. You need to understand what the apostles meant and what they interpreted the prophets to mean. So in other words, you need to submit your interpretation. The Bible doesn't just mean whatever you want. If that is true, and I know this is true in my own life, how many times have you used the Bible to justify your sin? You had some clever argument, some clever twisting of words to just give a biblically sound argument to, to justify your personal sin against God. Have you ever done that before? Is it just me? Who's done that before? Um, twisting God's truth. That's why, uh, that's what happened in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Satan twisting God's truth, saying something was okay that wasn't okay. So Peter's telling us, brothers, sisters, pay careful attention, be reminded regularly because your understanding of the Bible is not up to your own interpretation. It's according to God's interpretation, God's meaning, according to the prophetic and apostolic intention. Why? Why, why, is this, um, why is it not up to us? Verse 21, because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. So it's not up to man to determine what it means. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by who? By the Holy Spirit. So who's leading these men as they write and prophesy? The Holy Spirit. So whose meaning do we need to get? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit meant something by the Bible. 
So pay attention to the Bible. Be reminded about what the Bible says by other people and by your own Bible reading so that you get what the Holy Spirit meant by what he said. And these men were carried along by him. They weren't dictating, or the Holy Spirit didn't dictate to them. They still have their own personality. So Peter's writing style is different than John's, but it's still the Holy Spirit's message through their personality, through their own thought processes. So let us pay careful attention to be reminded by the, by, about the Bible and take the Bible's interpretation, or what, what should I say, accurate interpretation, the, the objective meaning of the text, the authorial intent of the text, because the Bible did not come by man's will, but from God. So acknowledge that this is God's word and that God's meaning is here and that we must seek God's meaning. Learn how to read the Bible well. Learn how to interpret scripture well. I sent the church an article on interpretation. I think I'm gonna send you guys some articles on interpretation throughout the year just to help you think about interpreting the Bible better. Read the Bible, write what you think the Bible means, and then share with other people in this church what you think it means. And you know what? Here's, this is huge for Bible interpretation. Don't be afraid to be corrected by other members of this church. You'll never be a good Bible interpreter if you're always right and you're too scared to share what you think the Bible means. Share what you think the Bible means and let people say, ah, that was kind of, no, not really. That was off, you know. It probably means something more like this. That's how you grow in your interpretation. Get feedback. Kids, work hard in school, especially English and reading. All your reading classes, English classes, learn how to read and understand texts so you can learn to read the Bible well. Church family, let's engage thoughtfully our Sunday sermons, the teaching, the discussions we have with members, the book of the month that we're gonna be reading together. God enlightens us and gives us his understanding, his intentions of the text. Paul says, think over what I say and the Lord will give you understanding. That's in first, 2 Timothy 2, 7. Think about what I say and God will give you understanding. Think hard, but it's not up to you ultimately, it's up to God. So why should we be regularly reminded of biblical Christian truth? because your kingdom entry depends on it, because your future self needs future reminders, because your preachers will be gone soon, because Christian truth is historical, because it's in the Old Testament and fulfilled, and because God wants you to know what he meant by what he said. We forget God's word too easily, but God reminds us that we might make it all the way to the end. God will not disown us, he will remember us, and he will favor us even though we forget God's word from time to time. Why? Because even though Christ never forgot God's word, God abandoned Christ, in a sense, forgot him on the cross, abandoned him, poured out his wrath on him for our sins so that we who forget God's word and God's son too easily would never be forgotten. Let us remind ourselves of God's word regularly. So here's my call to you. Read your Bible. Here's your call for the week. Read your Bible and share with one other member this week what you learn from the Bible. Do that. Read your Bible this week and share with one other member or on the church email what you learned from the Bible, what God reminded you of. Or if you're feeling really weak and you're saying, PJ, I'm so weak, I don't even have any desire to read the Bible, then at least do this. Text or call a church member and tell them to read the Bible to you. Okay, you're too lazy to get the spoon up to your mouth? Fine. Just tell people, hey, there's a spoon right there and there's a bowl right there. Can you put your spoon in there and put the spoon in my mouth? Yeah, do that, okay? If you're too, if, and let me just be clear. I'm not, I'm not merely mocking you. Sometimes you do get in spiritual seasons of your life where it's just even too hard for you to pick up the Bible. That happens to our members. So share your burdens with others and brothers and sisters. Let's read and quote the Bible to each other, even this week. If we don't read the Bible and remind ourselves even this week, you, you'll hear God's word, but you won't wake up. You'll read God's word, but you'll stay in the dark and you won't confidently confirm your Christianity. But if you read God's word and share it with other church members regularly, you'll be alert, you'll draw close to God in his light, and you'll live with confidence that you are his child, you're part of his chosen people. So in 2020, more than any year previous, may you be regularly reminded of biblical Christian truth. Resolve to read the Bible this year. Let's pray. I'll give you a minute to pray on your own and then I'll close this in prayer.
Father, we pray that you would remind us of your word. Guard us from defensiveness and thinking we know it all. Remind us of what we already know, what we are already established in again and again, that we might enter into your kingdom with joy. We pray with the saints all over the world, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come quickly and help us to pay careful attention to your light in this darkness until you come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.